0: And my version of badass Asian dudes is just like picturing somebody who's like super independent, able to do what he wants on his own terms. Are you willing to, you know, like live by your own set of rules? Are you willing to, you know, like break out of societal customs? And I was doing so many things to impress so many other people and all the way to the point where, you know, I started my own company. I started three companies. I believe that we were all massively creative people. You may not be creative in the way that I'm creative, or like you're not going to articulate and communicate in the way that I will, and I don't expect you to. When I
1: was growing up, I was the definition of the nerdy, shy, introverted Asian kid with two tiger parents who didn't even give me a choice. I just had to be
2: a doctor. My
0: parents came to America with no money, so I didn't get, uh, you know, this idea of emotional yeah. intelligence, and they don't know what that is. Like it was um, <laughs> survival mode. When you see someone else that looks like you, or represents you being emotionally intelligent or training their
1: mental fitness, when you see that, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, maybe I can do that too. I'm Michael. I'm one of the hosts and moderators of the Badass Asian Foods group on Facebook. Here with me today, I have my good friend uh, Nish Bot. Do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited uh excited to chat a little bit and uh hopefully get into some topics that people would be interested about um so uh my background is uh uh you know we we both grew up in the South Bay in uh California uh so uh after that I uh, also went to school in the Bay Area um uh studied uh biology and applied math over there um and uh after that worked professionally as a software engineer um, realized I missed biology after doing that for two years uh, and uh, co founded a company at the intersection of genomics and web software called uh, Color um, and uh, was working on the technical stack there for uh, about seven years. Uh, and recently, uh, at the beginning of last year, I uh, left. Since then, I've been uh, angel investing and advising uh, biotech companies, especially ones that are at the intersection of. Uh, bio and uh, software and other types of tech um, and most recently uh, with a few other folks I've been starting a, a fellowship like an accelerator for scientists who are interested in starting companies um, so that's uh, that's what I'm up to these days um, like you I recently moved to uh, moved to Asia I'm uh, based in Taipei Taiwan Uh, and, uh, been here for the past six months and, um, planning to be here a little while longer. So far, so good.
1: Yeah. Knowing you and knowing you in person, I'm always impressed at how you are super humble, even (laughs) everything, everything that you've done. Um, if I remember correctly, did you leave school to, did you leave Berkeley to start color or did you, uh, did you leave earlier?
2: So I did. So I did drop out of Berkeley, um, but not to jo- not to start Color. Uh, to, uh, it was to join another startup called Lookout. At the time, uh, uh, they were do- building uh, consumer apps for mobile security. Um, and part of the reason why I left was uh, the opportunity just seemed uh, like a better source of growth than what college could provide me at the time. Um, so I. Uh and to be fair I was very close to finishing I only had one class and I did end up finishing that class like uh, several years later so I did graduate from Berkeley but um but yeah at the time I dropped out to uh take this opportunity that I thought would uh would give me uh more relevant growth than what I was currently seeing Um at the time I had uh, I was basically uh you know taking only a few classes a week anyway and uh I was um, uh, I was spending a lot of my time just, uh, hacking on side projects and teaching myself how to program. Um, because my, my biggest takeaway from my previous, uh, work experience, which was an internship at LinkedIn was, oh, wow. Every, uh, relative, t- I got a relatively late start into uh, software engineering. I'd only really started the, uh, like the semester prior to that. Um, and, uh, I have a lot of catching up to do. I need to educate myself on the latest, like, um, uh, latest technologies, uh, like generally build my skills as a, uh, software engineer by shipping product, shipping small products end to end. So, um, I attended hackathons and, uh, kind of just built my own projects on the side too.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I definitely used Lookout for some period of time on my phone. (laughs) I had it it installed, uh. Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I know that dropping out of college is a very uh, anti-stereotypical Asian thing to do. <laughs> uh, although I guess in your case you were almost done, anyways. But
2: uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It uh, yeah it uh, it ended up it ended up working uh, working out, and I actually feel like I was in a relative place of privilege to be able to uh, to do that and still pursue my career goals that uh, that I wanted to. So overall, I feel really lucky. That's awesome.
1: Uh, one question we like to ask all our guests is what does what does being badass mean to you
2: hmm. this, is a- <laughs> um, this one I might have to this one I might have to think about um, uh, I think uh, yeah when you say it right now I think what I what comes to mind is um, a mix of uh, uh, high achievement and um, while at the same time, uh, like, uh, maintaining, uh, uh, maintaining humility, but not yielding because of that. Um, like, uh, being relentless in, uh, your pursuing, uh, your goals, which, uh, hopefully result in some greater good. Um, but not, uh, um, but not, uh, losing your uh, kind of uh, respect for others and uh, not uh, forgetting the reasons why you're pursuing these goals in the first place um, uh, because of them
1: yeah awesome yeah it, it the word does have somewhat of a loaded loaded meanings <laughs> that can be interpreted in aggressive ways but also can be i think can be embraced in, in positive ways
2: so, yeah sure yeah, yeah i'd like to <laughs> that's uh, t- today that's what it sounds like yes, to me exactly so, ask yeah. me tomorrow maybe. I'll <laughs> yeah. exactly
1: uh yeah uh, i'm just curious uh, i mean you basically grew up in a very similar environment that i did in the san francisco bay mm-hmm. area south bay um surrounded by yeah, so for, for context
2: <laughs> yeah for context michael and i grew up in uh, the South Bay, just south of San Francisco. Uh, I grew up in Cupertino, and uh, Michael grew up in Saratoga. We went to neighboring high schools.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was curious, uh, what did that... What was your relationship with being Asian when growing up?
2: Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think I felt... Oh no, not In a, in a way, it's like a fish that doesn't know what water is. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're just surrounded, so surrounded by Asian culture when growing up in a place like that, that it's not something that you pay attention to almost. Yeah. I didn't really think of Asian culture as distinct from, uh, from any other cultures while growing up. Um, because, uh, was just I was just surrounded by so much diversity, and I, I really thank for you know my parents for um, for raising me in this uh, kind of environment. Uh, I was surrounded by so much diversity that um, it wasn't really like uh, that. I didn't really categorize uh, groups in that way. Uh, it was more that I just had a lot of different friends with different kind of kinds of upbringing and backgrounds. Um, I think. Uh, I feel like really the kind of um, uh, groups that would form based on uh, people's uh, you know family backgrounds came came about a bit more strongly in college. Um, but uh, where you have maybe like uh, Taiwanese extracurricular groups or you know Desi extracurricular groups, uh, things like things like that. Um, but in uh, in high school, there was a little bit. Uh, it felt to me like there was a little bit less of that. I think it was more like we were all just like friends yeah. and we all came from different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, on, on, the other hand, I am really grateful, uh, that, uh, my parents kept me connected to, um, uh, to my own background, uh, uh, at, uh on the order of like once or twice, uh, once or every one or two years, uh, we would go back to India to visit my relatives who, um, uh, a lot of them grew up in uh, quite rural uh, parts of India. So uh, during that time when we we're visiting them, we'd be living um, basically on a farm or in a village that's in kind of a forest setting um, it is uh, is how you can picture it. Um, uh, you know, uh, electricity like would wouldn't be very reliable. Um, they'd have water but not running hot water. Um, so, uh, you'd have to like, you know, burn coconut husks under a vat to get hot water and then you'd use that for your shower and whatever else, um, and, and uh, cooking, etc. Um, and, uh, uh, being exposed to that at a young age, I think gave me a lot of gratitude for what I had, um, like, uh, growing up, you know, in, uh, uh, like a uh, place with more developed infrastructure and like having access to all the nice things that Western uh, civilization kind of uh, gave me at the time uh, is something that I saw a lot of my uh, friends take for granted. And I'm really grateful and uh, very glad that I had um, uh, had a uh, uh, that I was shown I was given the perspective of uh, where my uh, family came from and um, the things that they didn't had and the fact that they were still happy regardless. Like, one thing that I noticed consistently is that um, my relatives just seem to have, like, very, uh, you know, relatively simple, but very happy lives. Um, so I, uh, that's something that always stuck with me and I've uh, thought a lot about in terms of, like, um, you know, they, it seems like they have a lot uh, less in terms of, in terms of like, uh, niceties in life than than I did, but they seem to also be consistently happier. So uh, I've always thought about uh, what the difference was there. Um, And another thing is, uh, uh, is, um, especially my mom's uh, 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 kind of, uh, uh, yeah, uh, another thing I've thought about is um, uh, my mom's connection to Hindu, uh, practice and philosophy that uh, she kind of taught me at a young age. Um, even though now I'm an atheist and uh, don't uh, hold these religious beliefs, um, I'm still grateful for having been introduced to the religion. I think there are um, life lessons that we can all gain from uh, religious practice. Um, and uh, especially with uh, you know, the rise in interest of interest in stoicism and Buddhism, um, a lot of that comes from, uh, Hinduism originally in, uh, in terms of its philosophy. So I'm, uh, also grateful to have been exposed to those ideas, uh, at a very young age, uh, things like meditation, um, the concept of, uh, Maya, which is like illusion in life. Um, uh, which, uh, I, th- I think a lot of my peers only encountered, uh, much later in life.
1: I see. Yeah. I think definitely, I think what you said about your relatives, I think that definitely shows that happiness is something that you can kind of define yourself and mm-hmm. that the trappings that come with the trappings and complications that come with modern society and all its goods don't actually make, might actually make it harder to be happy. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think I actually, I actually think that's very true. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. I, I was exposed to uh, Buddhism, in a bit when growing up. I mean, at least like go to temples and mm. <laughs> do things, maybe not super heavily, but... Um. Yeah,
2: it, exactly. When, when you're growing up, it seems like a ritual and you're not really paying yeah. attention to it. But uh, then once you actually live life a little bit and then you re-encounter these ideas later, you're like, oh, there's actually so, some wisdom here. And now I now I understand all these like things that, was, that my friends made me do as a kid. Yeah.
1: How did you... I'm curious, how did you get about, say, meeting Elad Gil?
2: Is that my (laughs) concept? Elad Gil. Oh, sure. uh, Yeah, my co-founder, my co-founder, Elad. My co-founder is Elad, Atman, and Taylor. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, not a super complicated story there. I I was... um, uh, uh, we hadn't worked uh, I hadn't worked with them before uh, founding Color, so that's always a risk with any kind of startup. Um, so uh, I, it had been about two years that I was working at Lookout. Uh, and I, you know had a, I had a really good time there, uh, really enjoyed the learning that I had there. But at some point I felt like my learning was starting to plateau. like the rate of learning was starting to slow down. and that could have been just been the role I was in. But I started to realize that I was missing uh, biology specifically, like um, the life sciences and biology have been a passion of mine since uh, I was a, a little kid, to be honest. And um, I want, knew I wanted to work in some way uh, at that intersection of, um, I would tell people uh, wanted to work at the intersection of uh, genomics and web technology. I was feeling like at the time like uh, genomics was uh, a science that was being bottlenecked by our ability to uh, analyze uh, data at scale. Uh, whereas we'd, uh, you know, Illumina and other companies had done a really good job of uh, building hardware that uh, allowed us to um, actually read out and um, uh, generate data. Uh, we were still missing some fundamental techniques to analyze data that, uh, you know, had been, uh, at the time, big data was the hot buzzword. And a lot of the um, algorithms around that, you uh, People had built uh, to analyze, uh, for example, web traffic at scale had been pioneered by places like Yahoo, Facebook, Google, etc. Um, but uh, those learnings still had yet to make it to the sciences, and uh, in particular to genomics. Um, so uh, I d- my thinking was kind of vague, and I f- still felt like there was uh, there was something here. Um, so I would tell friends about this, and uh, um, Turns out one of them was a the founder of a, um, the, uh, portfolio company that Elad Gil had invested in. So this is uh, Jessica Ma and Andy Sue at Indy And, um, they, um, uh, they, uh, very nicely connected me to Elad. And, um, then when I saw the email come through, I was like, Oh, I already know, know who this person is. Cause uh, I used to read his blog, uh, yeah. like a few years ago. So, um, uh, so we, uh, 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 so we met up and, uh, then, um, shortly after that, like, uh, got connected to, um, uh, to Othman Laraki, who is, uh, Elad's founder from his previous startup. So they had a, a history together. Um, and, uh, Taylor joined us as well. Sh- sh- shortly after that, his, his background uh, was a, um, a cancer, uh, cancer, pathologist. Uh, so he is an MD, but also, uh, he was writing code alongside with us in the early days, uh, uh, he came out of the Berkeley uh, Amp Lab, which I believe these days is called the RISE Lab, uh, working on uh, uh, basically a scalable uh, nucleotide alignment software, uh, which is the nerdy buzzword for uh, those of you in the industry. And, um, uh, he, uh, and all of us, uh, it was very clear at the beginning that we all had a very um, strong alignment around uh, we did we, around the kind of company we wanted to build, even if we didn't know exactly what it, it was we were building at the time. Um, so I think it was that uh, like more of that philosophical alignment, um, and from just spending like six months uh, working together before formally um, uh, formally like starting the company, uh, that gave us confidence that yes, we could work together and uh, and that we would. Whatever we ended up choosing, we'd all be really excited to work on. Um, so uh, it was a bit of an unusual situation, but in re- but uh, it ended up working out.
1: Awesome. Uh, it, uh, it feels to me like uh, I guess the founding was somewhat somewhat high profile. I mean, I have definitely <laughs> heard of a lot b- before, uh, and I guess probably sure. Yeah. Yeah, like um, I'm assuming there's like some. God, he was a previous. He was already a, somewhat a big name investor, right? But I'm just curious if there's sure, any yeah, yeah. sort of, yeah, any any sort of struggles in like those early days you guys had oh, to work through.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, every startup like is a struggle at the beginning. Um, and uh, I I guess like personally, like um, I, for I think I think uh, that all of my co-founders had started something before. So for me, this was my first startup. Um, And uh, I, I think it was uh, at the time that feeling uh, of maybe, maybe you can relate to this a little bit, but like at the very early stages of a startup, you're literally working on something different one week to another. Like uh, uh, when I, uh, and uh, this was not something I really appreciated at the time, but I remember like building at the at the at the very early stages, we were building sm- like kind of small, scrappy prototypes that we would show to people, um, and they didn't actually do anything on the back end, but they were just like, you know, if uh, these are uh, what's the product uh, that does this these days? In Envision, yeah, envision, yes, that's um, right, yeah, yeah, Envision. So I was basically making Envision mocks before Envision existed, uh, and. Uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, scrappy prototypes for people to click through and just like get a sense of what the product would actually look like. Um, and then we'd be like, well, we're not doing that. Let's throw it away and make something new. And, uh, I remember feeling this like visceral sense of, uh, uh, almost unease because it didn't feel like we were making progress, even though we were, that is how you make progress as a startup is by quickly iterating and making change and Making changes and just throwing away the work you've done, if uh, if that's what's needed. Um, so uh, uh, so that was a bit challenging to deal with initially. Although if I were to just do, uh, do that again now, I would expect it. And um, in retrospect, you know, my uh, co-founders were obviously very familiar with that process. Um, uh, we uh, I th- I actually think despite everyone se- seems to. Uh, a lot of people seem to think we were destined for success because of, um, you know, obviously the uh, very strong position that we started from. But uh, I actually think that a lot of the reasons why Color did as well as it did uh, in the early days uh, was l- largely luck. Um, uh, I mean, we did work really hard, but uh, there were two circumstances that really helped uh, the timing of uh, of our product, and one was um, that. Uh, uh, So one was a Supreme Court case uh, uh, that, uh, sorry, one was a a court case that reached the Supreme Court um, about whether uh, naturally occurring human genes could be patented. So at the time there was a company uh, called Myriad Genetics, still is a company called Myriad Genetics. Uh, At the time they held uh, patents on uh, the genes uh, BRCA1 and BRCA2 um, that uh, allowed them to be the sole providers of genetic testing for uh, breast and ovarian cancer risk uh, using these genes. Um, and uh, the case goes to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, hey, you can't patent naturally occurring genes. Uh, and then Myriad basically overnight loses their, um, uh, loses their patents and allows other companies to come into the space. And then that's, uh, that's how we developed our first, uh, how we started to develop our first product, which is a breast and ovarian cancer risk test. Um, the second thing that happened was uh, that uh, Angelina Jolie wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about her experience um, getting uh, test, getting uh, genetically tested um, uh, for breast cancer risk and then undergoing surgical action to uh, reduce her risk of, of actually getting uh, getting the disease, um, which uh, brought a, a lot a lot of attention to people that this is there's actually an action you can take uh, to. Um, you know not die from this disease if you are at high risk and uh, um, and uh, be it de- drove a lot of demand into the market for uh, for these types of products um, so that's kind of the context around which we started the company and uh, 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 why we were um, uh, and what helped us get uh, set up for success in the early days um, I, th- I would say that thir- I'd say a third thing that really helped is a lot of in particular, did a lot of work to uh, build a a strong scientific relationship with um, uh, Dr. Mary Claire King at the University of Washington, who um, was and continues to be a huge uh, uh, champion for us. Um, uh, She really uh, helped us uh, both in terms of providing scientific validity to what we were doing, but also just practically um, And her lab uh, offered us a lot of help in terms of uh, building out the testing infrastructure, which they had a lot of experience with, and we had no experience with. Um, so uh, those were uh, those were some of the challenges uh, uh, um, uh, in the in the early days. Uh, yeah, there's probably more that I can get into.
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, all startups are uh, <laughs> all startups are struggle. Who knows? Yeah, where to go. Yeah. Um, but colors. Looks like it's doing color's doing great now. It looks like it's doing great now, at least. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe I want to ask like, what do you feel like is your your personal relationship or your personal reflection on the whole journey? Did that oh, does that make you that um, make you the like? Did you feel like you've developed in any way from the, the whole process? Or
2: well, yeah, of course, <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's uh, I feel like I grew up grew up with color in some sense. Um, I uh didn't uh yeah i just didn't really know what i was doing at the beginning when we got started in a lot of ways um i just it's where i learned how to uh how to work with teams um how to uh how to build teams um uh how to think about uh uh the uh the business and go to market side. Like it, it was to the extent that I've learned any business skills at all. Like I learned, I would say I learned all of them, um, from the folks, from the team we, uh, put together at color. Um, yeah, it's the best team I've ever worked with for sure. Like the, just the quality of people there is so, so good. Um, and, uh, it's, and working with, uh, working with them is the thing I miss the most. Um, uh, and uh, uh, for me personally, I think, uh, if I were to go through a process like that again, um, there, there's, there, there's something I'd heard a lot, but didn't actually understand until I went through it, which is, uh, that, uh, as a company kind of scales up as you go from three to 10 to, you know, 30, uh, to a hundred, etc. cetera. Um, at each of these stages, the overall, uh, organization of the company uh, of how work gets done changes, um, your relations with other people in the company changes. Um, uh, so, uh, so these are, these really are very distinct, uh, growth stages of, um, uh, of any company, um, you know, regardless of like when, uh, of like, uh, like when that happens. And, uh, 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 I think if I, uh, I think that uh, one thing maybe I would have done a little bit differently is p- to pay more attention to the changes that happen at those stages, and uh, to more deliberately plan uh, my own career around those stages. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, as a founder, my tendency tends to be to run towards where the fires are and help out with uh, um, with the whatever existential problem right. the company is having. And every startup always has some yeah. existential problems. Um, and uh, my thinking is, well, we've hired this amazing team. I, I'm willing to take on some of this um, uh, maybe uh, less than desirable work in order to free up uh, people to do um, to be more productive on what they're ex- whatever kind of work they're excited to get done. Um, uh, but uh, after doing. Uh, following that pattern for seven years, I realized I was starting to burn out (laughs) and um, uh, I wasn't uh, developing in ways that I wanted to anymore. Um, I was just constantly like working on these roles that uh, I, um, uh, that I was doing because, uh, uh, partly because they weren't, uh, the work itself wasn't very, very exciting. Um, But I, I was very, very excited about the work that, I was enabling. I um, uh, so ultimately, that's what kept me motivated. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but I'm, at some, uh, especially once we reached the larger scale, and part of the reason uh, why I left right. was, uh, I, I, at some point, I realized um, I, that I don't have to do that anymore. Like, um, I, I, we were at the scale where there were other people who were, um, uh, who would be excited to take on uh, the work that need to get done. And um I could, uh, I also realized that I personally enjoy having impact at the very early stages of a company. Um, and, uh, you know, as color had scaled up to at that point, almost 200 people, um, now it's much bigger than that. Um, uh, I, uh, I realized that the most impactful, if I, if I thought about kind of the arc of my career over my life and where I wanted to have the most impact, um, it would probably have to, I'd probably have to leave and, uh, find a new opportunity to work on so um that's uh um so that's part of the reason yeah uh that, that was part of my thinking there too got it
1: got it yeah i feel like definitely at a larger at a larger scale of a uh, organization you need to shift more to like a leading light or something like that <laughs> instead, yeah, of, uh, instead yeah, of like yeah. running around mm-hmm. putting out fires you need to like yeah. guiding vision like setting <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: exactly and uh, it's not to say you can't have impact uh, uh, that way too, but it's uh, it's just a matter of a personal, right. um, like uh, yeah, how I how I personally feel excited about right. the kind of impact I'm got trying.
1: it. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, similar to me, you you moved to Asia last year during that pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you went to Taiwan. Yes. I went to Japan. Uh, what well, <laughs> made you want to do that?
2: <laughs> yeah i actually set my uh sights on taiwan for, uh for a while um and uh yeah i, I remember uh, thinking because i prior to this i'd literally grown up and lived in the bay area my whole life um you know I, you went to school on the east coast and i didn't even do that <laughs> so i kind of stayed within the bay area um uh the entire time before that um and also was uh, working on color uh until until last year so that was also uh keeping me uh keeping me in the same place uh, happily so uh, i would add um but uh after uh after leaving color i realized um uh, uh i don't know when else in life i'll have a chance to uh live in a different uh place from where i grew up and have a different uh, life context uh so uh, that was what made me decide to move in the first place. And uh, Taiwan, because um, I, uh, I, so A, I'd grown up around, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, around Taiwanese culture. A lot of my friends are Taiwanese American um, in high school uh, and in college too. And uh, I, uh, so I already had a sense of what to expect from Taiwan culturally. Um, uh, it's always a different experience when you're living somewhere versus um, experiencing it vicariously or traveling. Um and I had traveled to Taiwan a few times before, um, uh, and it just checked a lot of the boxes in terms of uh, ideal places I wanted to live. Uh, the uh, weather here is pretty good. Um, the cost of living is very good. Um, the food is really is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, there's lots of uh, outdoors ac- activities. Uh, it's really easy to get from you know the beach to the mountains to the forests yeah. uh, here, etc um and uh also uh, i would also add just the the people here are just uh super super nice which is like um something i kind of had a sense of growing up uh in cupertino but once you're actually here like um uh there's just a very uh, there's a very strong it's not just a sense of collectivist mindset i would say um as you know japan obviously has that quite strongly too but um uh but in taiwan it's like uh there's also just a sense of uh of friendliness yeah. that i've uh that i found in so few other places yeah. um that i that i really appreciate and also feel like i can learn from yeah. as well um so part of it is like uh learning how to um is to put myself in a different life context to, to ultimately uh shape my own uh, development too so um, that's something about it too. And the last reason I would add is I want to learn Chinese and, yes. uh, uh, being immersed in a uh, Chinese speaking, uh, place, uh, helps yeah. a lot with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Taking classes, and I hear you're diving and <laughs> doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. like, it's been pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, it seems like you clearly, uh, you clearly couldn't keep yourself away from bio work either. <laughs> you got yourself right. busy again. Yeah. Uh, and you're like thinking about a lot of, a lot of the things, um, to help like biotech companies help more biotech companies um maybe briefly maybe we don't go go like a super deep back there but uh what's your thinking behind that um maybe like what do you see the big things holding back more biotech startups and sure why do you see your role in that person
2: sure yeah um, so, uh, so Michael's alluding to a project that I've, uh, started working on with a few other folks. Um, uh, we're calling ourselves the Sci Founder Fellowship, and this is a, um, uh, a startup accelerator program for, um, uh, early career scientists to start companies. And, uh, I think a large part of the audience that we're helping with this are, are, uh, academic scientists who are interested in starting companies but maybe don't have access to uh, traditional uh, VC resources um, Or a knowledge of how uh, of how to start these companies um, And we it's a one-year program um, and it runs in a batch kind of similar to YC uh, the YC model and uh, We kind of we guide them through the process uh, through uh, forming milestones um, making progress against those milestones um, and then raising, fundraising, uh, and grow, scaling and growing the company beyond that. Um, and uh, I started uh, 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 at least uh, my own motivation for starting this was um, in having angel invested in a few uh, of these early stage companies. Um, and really, I think of angel investing. Uh, everyone has different like kind of um, I guess approaches to angel investing. Uh, at least for me, you know, kind of just getting started with it, I almost view it. As uh, tuition to learn about the problems that uh, founders uh, face at the early days, um, and uh, I, r- I realized that uh, biotech and deep tech uh, uh, companies have a lot of unique challenges that uh, software engineering companies don't have. Um, in particular, uh, there's a process called tech transfer, whereby uh, you know an invention that's uh, discovered or created at a university is licensed out to a startup or to another company um, and every startup that spins out of a, a university has to go through this process and it's a one-off negotiation every single time and oftentimes the co- the founders of the company um, don't uh, aren't really equipped for that negotiation so um, you uh, so they often don't know what's a fair equity split um, uh, or a, a Or sometimes the negotiations just drag on for a really long time, and that process itself kills the company. Um, And uh, uh, if if you think about it as well, like uh, a lot of uh, software engineers who start companies um, maybe get some work experience or at least internship experience first before they start their company. Um, Whereas for uh, these scientists starting companies, the company that they start is actually oftentimes the first company that they work for, too. Um, So, they don't have that prior work experience uh, to teach them about, uh, you know, skills like project management and uh, building a team and uh, uh, thinking about product market fit and stuff like that. So, oftentimes these are very new frameworks for a lot of uh, these academic founders and we haven't and there aren't yet resources that help translate these ideas into um, uh, into resources that are accessible for these founders. uh, so uh, that's uh, that's part of the reason why we uh, we started this program. We're uh, uh, hoping to uh, do we're hoping to uh, you know kind of bridge that gap between the learnings that we've made on the software side on how to build you know scalable SaaS businesses, whereas in biotech um, a lot of that we're still kind of figuring out. I would say, um, and uh, also to like build a community, kind of in the way that YC did in the early days. Uh, We want to build a community of founders that uh, support each other over the course of their careers. And um, uh, we hope the effects will last beyond just the companies that these founders happen to be working on right now. Um, uh, So uh, uh, hopefully, uh, I I see this as really planting the seed of something that um, hopefully will have an impact on the way biotech companies are formed in the future.
1: Yeah, sounds super awesome. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's a yeah, it's it's been yeah, thanks. Pretty excited about it. Um, we're uh, right now we're uh, uh, in the middle of the um, application review process. Uh, so we uh, uh, we you know we only launched our uh, our accelerator la- uh middle of last year. Um, or that sorry, that's when we got started with it. Um, so we haven't been able to do like a huge PR push. Um, you know, most people still haven't heard of us. Uh, so. Uh, We publicized uh, by, um, we had to do like some very guerrilla marketing tactics in order to uh, kind of publicize this, uh, this program. Um, I was writing scripts to, uh, you know, collect, uh, scrape email addresses from, uh, from biotech department websites. Um, We were sending uh, one-off cold emails to, uh, you know, anyone who we could find who was a, uh, you know, PhD level scientist at a university. Um, uh, telling them, hey, if you or someone you know is thinking about starting a company, you should check out our program. Here's the link to apply. Um, and uh, I've been quite surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised by the quality of uh, applications that we've received so far. So I'm really excited for us to select the first batch yeah. so we can talk more about that. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and this is like negotiations with uh, universities to do the tech transfer, to the tech transfer university, quite. Right?
2: Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of the teams we uh, are seeing are at that kind of right. stage, um, uh, but a, a lot of them are. Uh, it's it's a mix. Right. So, yeah, some of them are at that stage. Some of them are have already uh, transferred out the tech. Um, some of them are still ideating and figuring out exactly what the product is that they're going to build. Um, and for any uh, like uh, maybe deep tech founders who are listening out there, I think the single biggest piece of. Uh, uh, the the single biggest piece of advice that seems to have been useful so far is to think deeply about what the actual product you're building is. Like uh, think about, um, uh, it's never too early to think about what is the thing that we're targeting building, and it's you know it's just a target, and the target can change over time. But you have to think about like what is uh what is the thing that people are actually going to pay for, and how are you going to build that thing. Um, and uh that's uh that's something that we're helping folks think awesome. think about too. Yeah.
1: Totally out of that field. What is the best flavor sure. of ice cream you've made?
2: <laughs> For
1: context, Nish, <laughs> uh, Nish, Nish <laughs> makes ice cream with along with a couple other friends. But
2: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I've been having fun making ice cream. Uh I think the uh, uh yeah, oh, that's a tough one. I think the two two flavors I really like uh, are soy sauce. Um, oh, that was good. and <laughs> uh and uh uh, yeah, okay, which is like uh, <laughs> which is like soy milk and uh, Chinese donuts. So yeah, you should uh, you should uh, try some of that soon.
1: Awesome. Um, I guess lastly, uh, what's a what what's a personal question for yourself that you're still struggling with or you don't have an answer? To?
2: Hmm. Um, I think something. I'm. Uh, yeah. One thing that I always uh, think uh, think more about is how do I. Um, how how to connect more deeply with others and how to empathize more. I think one of the, the things I, uh, one of the most amazing things about the human experience is that our experiences are just so different. And, uh, I, I, I think one of the fund one of my personal s- fundamental sources of joy in life is comes from, uh, just hearing about other people's stories and understanding, um, the learnings that they've uh that they've made along the way and just like how that shaped who they are um and uh we all have different degrees to which we share that and um uh i always kind of welcome w- with every person i interact with i always kind of welcome and enjoy hearing as much of that as uh, as they're uh, as uh they're able to share with me um so i always think about like what are some good ways to uh what are good ways to get to uh, the core of what people's stories are? So that's, I think that's like a question that I, uh, that I'm constantly thinking about.
1: Well, I definitely heard a lot more about your story today than <laughs> we've ever talked about before. So this has been yeah, cool. really awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Super awesome to have you on here and tell a bit more deeply and get it, get yeah. it into your mindset. Uh, this is uh this has been uh this is Nish Nishbot. Super badass, <laughs> also very humble. Um uh and this is super badass Michael <laughs> Lou.
2: Thanks a lot for having me.
1: I do things. <laughs> yeah, uh no, this is, yeah, been another episode of the Badass Asian Youth Podcast. Um like and subscribe or follow us on Facebook or Instagram and see you guys around.
0: Hey, it's Victor, one of the admins and editor of this podcast i'm recording this little uh, bit on the go here but thank you for listening to this episode with michael and nish hope you enjoyed this conversation and took something away from it for yourself or career i encourage you to write it down or share this episode with a brother or someone who could relate or take something away from it themselves as well in the meantime a quick update from the badass Asian dudes and what we're up to, we are definitely looking to host more meetups around the country. We had a meetup in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, we have a few people out in New York as well, and LA and other cities across the US. So if you're interested to host or even just put together a meetup in your local city, Uh, definitely hit us up and we can help uh, put something together we also do have a couple group chats on messenger Uh, one focused on entrepreneurship and business and career and another on Asian masculinity dating relationships and whatnot as well message me on Facebook or Instagram if you're interested to join one of those chats Uh, my full name is Victor Ung and I will add you in With that, I really appreciate you being here and for listening. Definitely follow and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to so you can get updates on the next episode. We release every other Wednesday.
1: See you then.